This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore. And the doctor is in the house. We welcome Larry Nemechek back to Standard Orbit. Welcome aboard, sir. Hey, guys. I just beamed on my landing party. <laughs> so this will be fun. Thanks for having me on. Just off the top, tell us, what have you been up to recently, Larry? I know you got some, some, new, some new things cooking in the, in, the, in the Trek lab there for Dr. Trek. So what's up with you lately? Well, I have a I have a kind of a cool secret thing I can't talk about, a small thing, but that'll be fun for, for yeah, way thanks. later. <laughs> yeah. But also you may have heard this thing called the Trek Files that we're do, doing for Roddenberry with a guest every week, a little podcast. It's just 15 minutes long, but we pull a document out of Gene's files and uh, talk about the relevance to knowing more about him and Trek and media and culture back in the day and also what it might mean for us today. And um that's been a lot of fun. We got a lot of good feedback and been able to make a little news. They won't all be newsmakers like the the uh, unused nineteen eighty six premise for next generation that got Gene to sit down and do his own. But uh, like this week, we had a letter from Rick to Gene before Rick was a producer on the show. Um, that was interesting, and uh, those come out every Tuesday at midnight. So um, at, at uh, you can subscribe, but you know at Facebook. Uh, get the document as well as the episode. Yeah, that '86 document really was cool. That was that was fascinating. And then the, then the discussion that you had with Chris on going about it. But I, I really enjoyed that one. Documents is kind of uh, an inspiration of our our discussion today. So uh, you know, go, turning back the clock here, you know, we're, we're going to talk about you know, some some things that uh, that might have changed a bit with Canon and Fanon over the years, starting with the the Starfleet insignia, because as we understand it, there's a uh, there's a memo out there that says every ship uh, was supposed to have the same insignia, like the the arrowhead, the the the, the flying A has many terms, but if you guys know Star Trek, you know what we're talking about. Uh, but this never kind of translated to the screen. It's caused a lot of confusion over the years. So this has been a, this has been a, a topic of conversation in, in recent days as we talk about continuity and canon and fan and all that stuff of the year. So kind of want to delve into your files here, Larry, and and see what your take is on it. As usual, it, it doesn't have to be just, a, well, it will be, about the topic, like you said, starting with the, the, Bill, the Bob Justman, the Bill Tice memo. You start with that, but there's also like a bigger picture going on here. <laughs> like, let's just step back and look at this and maybe 
you know, look at some of our ruts we're in because that's always a good thing, I think. I was I was going back and just looking at the memo. First of all, man, were they formal back then? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the whole format, the messages, and all that stuff. Well, remember how what they're doing? They're talking into at least Gene and I think Bob Justman. At least the two of them did. They're sitting in offices dictating into a dictaphone, and then their secretaries type these. They're not like doing an email. Oh, sure. You know, or that, something. I'm not an email technically, but I mean, they're not typing on a typewriter when they do this most of the time. Right. So but, they, uh, they can sound verbose and formal. Well, yeah, and that's certainly how it comes on. And, and I, you know, you can see that there's, there's a little bit of humor that, that's mixed in with these things, which I, I like. But, you know, when you see sign the 18th day of, our, of December in the year of our Lord, 1967, <laughs> you're like, man, these are, is, this, is this a document or did somebody graduate college? I mean, no, <laughs> that's, that's uh, if, you, if you, and you guys, and I hope you guys, did, I'm sure you guys did, and I hope a lot of your audience did, you really need to read the making of Star Trek, the original book on Star Trek before there was anything else you could do back in this. I mean, I didn't get to it till it was a seventies edition, but, and there's a lot of those memos that went around between Dorothy and Bob and Herb Solo and, and people and Gene and Bob Justman had this killer dry, you know, grim yeah. humor, black humor, sardonic wit. So he's basically going like, this is like the hand of God. This is better than the tablets, you know, Bill Tice. When he did that, I mean, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, you can see it in there. It's just, it's just funny that you know they're they're actually taking the time to type all this, and we just think everything is abbreviated and goes fast today. But back to the original piece, right? So, <laughs> you've got Discovery going now. You've got your second prequel underway, and of course the um, the emblem of Starfleet, you know, has always been a kind of a question, uh, and it, it seemed that the um, the motion picture kind of it it changed klingons nobody looked back it just changed and as a reward and recognition of the mission of the enterprise they said going further this was son of the scuttlebutt back then that the delta shield now would be the the emblem for all of the federation right this is this is in recogni recognition of their heroic trip but now obviously the um the delta shield is the I guess has been retconned, whatever the right word is. I'm not up on these terms. That, that is correct. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. To be to be the the symbol of Starfleet from from before and always has been and it ever shall be. Is is that a, a good? <laughs> Alleluia, Alleluia. That's to right. keep to keep up with the Bob Justman <laughs> theme. There you go. Yep. Well, this is actually something that started in. If you really want to delve back into uh, in Star Trek 09 with the Kelvin. You know, everybody was wearing, uh, everyone had a Delta Shield there. And there wasn't really much talk about it, you know, uh, because it was just such a short thing. But now Discovery, you know, the logo of the show is the Arrowhead. And uh, it's not it's not the Enterprise, so people are all up in arms about it. So people have been going through the files and finding out the true behind-the-scenes story. Well, so, A, let me, let me just counter one thing there. You said nobody talked about it when the Kelvin was out. A lot of people talked about it when the <laughs> Kelvin came out. To the point where I had a question, the... Uh, the uh, Fistful of Data column that I do for the official magazine, which used to be the British magazine before the communicator went away and they brought the British magazine to the U.S. I had a, somebody ask about this oh, about the, within a year or two of 09 coming out. And it was because I watched the movie and I went, oh, they're doing because it, because the truth was back in the day. Everybody could see that patch on Decker's chest. Everybody could see that uh, on, on the constellation. Everybody could see that patch and even his dying medical officer's chest even. So there were two. 
uh, on the Exeter, uh, Ron Tracy, and they could see him, right? Mm -hmm. And we all saw the admirals and commodores running around with a little starburst on their chests. And, and people got, and there was no main, main dictum anywhere that people pointed. This, this memo that just, you know, came to light, literally just came to light because early fandom and for years, that was just the thing. It, the thing was that the, every ship had a patch and that was cool. And um, occasionally you would have some, and you know, we weren't, we didn't have frame grabs. So you, you didn't have tape. You were watching right. on your reruns. Now, eventually we did have tape. So people, it was easier to access that or, or you know, like Doug Drexler and Anthony Fredrickson and Jeff Mandel and the New York fan mafia that was doing the giant poster book would preserve some things and point this stuff out occasionally and say, wait a minute, all the guys in the Starbase bar in Court Martial are wearing Enterprise patches. Hmm. But the things in your face, you know, uh, the people on different bases had different, uh, the, the dying, who is it? Uh, not Barstow, Travers, whatever, whoever it is in, in Arena. Yeah, like you outpost barely guys. Yeah, yeah the outpost guys. And on uh, Bounce Chair too. Right? Mm -hmm. But the general gist in everybody's, everybody's head cannon, because there was no other cannon, <laughs> was, was, uh, was different ships. And then, yeah, when the motion picture came along, I, believe me, I've gone back and tried to find this in print. I've mm -hmm. gone back through the making of Star Trek motion picture. I've tried to find a couple of little PR bulletins they put out. I cannot find anybody in print saying, we're going to the standard Enterprise Delta to honor the Enterprise as being the first ship of the constellation, you know, the first of the five-year mission ships to come back relatively intact with its crew and ship intact. Because we all knew, we all didn't like mass dream that. I mean, that's the, I didn't suggest that as the way Star Trek continues ends up. Vic and everybody involved in the, in the headcanon before I got into that. So it wasn't like we all mass dreamed that. That was out there. But that was the thing going forward. And even in motion picture, the Epsilon 9 guys had their own patch. So, you know, you, you can parse it then, right? So, yeah, all these years later, years later, years later, everything is going forward, moving forward. It's a non-issue until, say, Enterprise, and they're totally away from doing any kind of patchwork. But then right at the end, Jeff Mandel, mm -hmm. who I just mentioned, who's a big fanboy working on the department, put the uh, Delta on, what, the Friendship One? And, and there were a couple of other times, and as they would do early Starfleet, they – you know, Mike Okuda would, would tilt the Delta sideways and kind of do a takeoff of the NASA, you know, mm -hmm. the NASA emblem sideways. And you're like, oh, everybody's like, oh, look, it's evolution. Oh, they're, <laughs> they're fan, you know, they're retconning this in so well. That's so cool. But then Jeff came out and just had the outright Delta turn sideways on his friendship. And there was one other time I can't remember. I'm sorry, Voyager. Did I say Enterprise? I said, yeah, I, I was going to say Vo Voyager had the Friendship One. Yeah, yeah, Voyager. So the people are like going, okay, Voyager, you're just going out the door. Okay, bye-bye. Don't the screen door hit you on the way out. We're getting an Enterprise now. It was like right at the end of the series, and people were like, you know, racing out the door. And then Enterprise gets off the way it's going. So, and then, and then has the throwback shows and evolving Earth Starfleet and Sideways. And then, but then, so we kind of are still going along with that. And then here, and along the way, fandom in two or three different versions is coming up with some of the, even before the fan films were doing it, like Farragut, mm -hmm. back in the day, the 80s guides that fans would do and things that weren't licensed. People were coming up with um, ship patches for all the other, even the idea, and if we get into this, even the idea of how many other Constitution class ships there were and who they were and their, and their numbers and all that was even kind of a floaty right, thing. Right, because too. there was, there was in a, a court-martial, right? There's a, there's a 
chart on a wall and there's not ship names but there's ship registry numbers right so all the fans like oh which ship goes this registry number and all that stuff and they just added them all up over the years but, let's circle back around does, to that but yeah yeah kirk does say there were 12. I, I see well okay that oh well we can jump off from that in a minute <laughs> sorry, but, sorry. but back on the patch on the that it was not an 10, issue 10, 10 until the kelvin before before the kelvin though there was in a mirror darkly right with the defiant and that pretty much that's the first one that really established established that this defiant has a different looking logo uh, than the Enterprise, because, you know, you have Archer and all them wearing a different logo, right? You mean, aside from the Exeter and the Constellation? Well, I meant in the in the new era where we paid attention to things like... <laughs> in the new era when you were paying uh, my Kakuda to be heading graphics in your art department. There you go. Well, there was some <laughs> oversight to these things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but see, the thing, I don't think... Now, oh, you guys test me. I think the whole point of that was... They never, we, I think people have gone back and done tiny micro HD clips to find them. But I think in the general, we're watching on a VHS faded out tape in the 70s and 80s and 90s. You didn't see any shirts from the dead defiant crew in Tholian Web. To I think see there was one guy on a bio bed or something, but you couldn't really tell. You couldn't really was, see his, right. Yeah, because he was far away and he was, you know, laying, you know, on his flat on his back. So that was the only thing. That's what they kind of like, extrapolated from that blurry image what the different uh, you know patch could be for the Defiant. By the way, and this came up with Continues when we did the Defiant on a show, the, the bio beds, which weren't called bio beds back in the day, kids. That's a, that's a next-gen term. Um, but we do it anyway. It's a nice retcon thing. To say the sick bay beds is kind of like, eh. right. um, the uh, The beds in the Defiant, in Tholian Web, had gray sheets. They didn't have the red, you know, gold, Flecked. Oh, it's a sensor web on the cushion bed, which is kind of wacky. They were trying to show different ships. So, right. but but anyway, but yeah. So when when Enterprise did Intermirror Darkly, and it's the same ship from Tholian Web, there the the attitude, the mindset then is, hey guys, we have some budget. Let's go in and and give a a canon version of the Defiance patch. Yes, let's do that. And that had kind of, I think they kind of took one of the fanish ones that was floating around out there. Maybe I could be wrong. But the bottom line is they thought they were doing some official retconning that needed to be done. It's one of those things where like the, the casual fan doesn't realize that there are different patches because they might not have seen every episode. There's only been like two or three. And so when you bring that up, you, th you think you're being like the really super fan. Well, did you know that every ship had its, had its own patch, you know? And then, and, <laughs> and then so they think they're, like you said, they think they're doing it right. And you're like, hey, we're setting it in stone now, guys. For the record, every ship has its own patch. Moving, moving on, moving forward. Now we got four, only eight or nine or ten more to go or something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, but then, yeah, then the Kelvin is out in 09, and we're all kind of going, <laughs> because I have this, I know for a fact, without knowing for a fact, but I know for a fact with the mix of people involved there, somebody along the way said, you know, I mean, they pointed it out, you know, that shouldn't be like the... And the powers that be with a new group starting up after a long, you know, mm -hmm. said, well, that's real cool for the nerd people. But for the <laughs> most of our audience, we want to get across that this is Starfleet. And if we don't have the, you know, the, the arrowhead, the Delta on there, people are going to want be confused. And a lot of that's going on, you know, good or bad. That's just human nature and the reality of production and 
especially it's, it's a startup the, after a desert, right? It's the brand recognition is more important than the in-universe continuity right. in that respect. Right. Yeah, I mean, you see with Star Wars all the time, like everything has to look exactly the way it did before. People won't understand. It's like they, they don't give audiences enough credit, I think. But I do, I get the business sense of it, yes. And then even in Discovery, it's like there have to be 19 deltas on everything or else we might <laughs> forget that it's Starfleet related. Or even like, in the Kelvin timeline, everything has to have like a pattern on it. Like, it, like the communicator has a delta on it, the uniforms. Like, okay, that's I, I do like in Beyond where they kind of drifted away from like the, the sequence of the Delta Shield in the shirt. Like that's a little overkill. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, so here's the thing. So somebody about a year or so after uh, 09 came out asked about that in my column. I got a letter, I got an email question and said, you know, what was the Kelvin? Was the Enterprise? I thought it was supposed to be. Blah. And uh, sounds just like me. That's and that's <laughs> that's my speeded up fan voice. That's my email <laughs> fan voice as opposed to my letter fan voice, which is uh, in the Kelvin. Um, shouldn't they have had a different patch? Because it was before the motion picture. We all have our nerd voices. So <laughs> that was my token nerd. Yeah, it's a very California nerd voice. Anyway. <laughs> That was actually that was my Oki voice back in the day, but I maybe I maybe I've dutified it a little bit. A little bit, yeah. And I say this all lovingly, very lovingly. Yeah, of course. Of I have course. my, you know. We're all the same. We're we're here talking about patches on shirts. I mean, who are we to? <laughs> <laughs> you know, people get paid millions of dollars to do this when it's called high fashion. So, uh, <laughs> That's right. and you're located in New York or Milan or something. So, but that came up then, and I and I had a little bit of a. I had talked off and on with. Um, with Bob Orsi, who, despite all the flack he took over the years, really was a big fanboy and um, was kind of the purest of the original series onward fandom. And Alex Kurtzman was a next genish forward fandom, but they were just, he was one voice among four or five or six. Mm-hmm. And it was almost kind of like, uh, I can't win everything. So I'm going to win 20% of the, the Supreme court as they call yeah, it. The Supreme court. Right. Right. So he, uh, I asked him, I said, uh, you know, because he'd been hit up too. People, you know, like, where is the Kelvin got an Enterprise patch 30 years before it should be there? <laughs> and I wrote him and I said, I have a, maybe a fix for this. Here's, a, here's an out of the paradigm. But since, since I guess they get those shaped patches when they're, when they're launched, because, you know, Pike and Young Spock and number one are wearing Deltas too. So it wasn't mm. like Kirk decided this would be his patch, right? right? So it was with the ship back then. I said, what if when they launched the ship, the Enterprise, what if in the prime timeline, the Kelvin had a wonderful career, George Kirk didn't die in this split off, you know, this time uh, splinter. He, it has a glorious career with Captain Robot and or him. And they're so, their adventures in prime, which we hadn't got to at the time, are so notable that April and or the Enterprise launching committee honors the Kelvin with that, with their patch. That's ingenious. The the Enterprise Delta was originally the Kelvin, and now we just solidified the Kelvin's place in history and why the uh, the Nero the Narada incursion was such an amazing change in right. in history, right? And why George Kirk and Kirk you know Kirk was born on a ship and not in Iowa like he should have been. So anyway, so that was like the and then you get to the Franklin and beyond, and there's an Arrowhead, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like well, and you know, because and, and he wasn't involved with that one, and it's like well, that's all out the window now. But so as far as the badge goes, the point of that memo was, and and John Cooley's story on Star.com was try to like retcon that memo into everything and say, I mean, the problem here is he came up with a plausible theory to say, no, 
we don't need all these wacky doodle. The Enterprise took its patch from the Kelvin and, you know, all mm. this. There were no other ship patches. You know, pay no attention to those, <laughs> to those ideas you've had since 1972. Pay no attention <laughs> to all that. Um, since the days of film clip trading, uh, you, you know, th- there was, that was no, there's no need for all that. And here's all the reasons why. I don't know. The, well, the cannon police are coming to get you. Larry, do you hear that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, there i just did a cute right. thing uh stopped it all in its tracks <laughs> no so let's but let's back up number one that memo was written bob wrote to bill tice when they were doing the omega glory after seeing the exeter's ship patches on tracy and on his dead medical officer in the dailies right so a that was very late second season b uh i mean fans knew we were talking about the defiant you barely maybe see the one guy's chest in, in the, but they very carefully turned everybody over. The part of this also was, I say the, we talk about fan and the head cannon, but a lot of it was like, no, we know what they were doing. Third season, they're cutting budgets all the time. Fred Freiberger's running things. Bob was still there and Dorothy, but they were on just about to, especially Bob was about to say, I can't take this anymore and, and get out of here. Cause like nobody, cared. Gene was gone. So he, nobody was caring. Um, they, all the dead bodies are turned where you can't see the patch. Like, we Genius. don't have enough money to do new patches, so just turn everybody where we never see their patch. So it was almost like by the fact that you didn't see the patches was an acknowledgement that they wanted to have different ones but couldn't afford to show you. I mean, mm-hmm. the second or third time I was watching it, you know, in daily reruns, so like after a year and a half or whatever, I'm going, oh, oh, I want to see what the Defiance patch was. Wait a minute, they never chose the Defiance <laughs> patch. And by then I'd read the make. I'm like, they didn't have enough money to make new ones. And that's why, like, why else is there nobody in this whole freaking sequence <laughs> of a corpse that's turned over to see their stomach, to see their chest? This is crazy. So that was part of it. It also it reinforced the idea that there was a, you know, we just didn't see it. Right. So that added to it too. So this whole thing about the memo from Omega Glory, then why? So why did Tholian Web happen the way it did, and their backs were turned? Well, there's two or three things here. Bob Justman, it was late in the season. He wrote this memo. Bill Tice was like a lot of costumers I know, where they kind of like do their own thing, and sometimes they're maybe a little grumpy doing it their own way because <laughs> they think like they're the most overburdened of all that is. Everybody has their on a production team has their deadlines and crazy times and all that. But it just seems like, and I'm broad brushing here. I love them all, but a lot of the theater and live action designers that I've met, especially the men mm-hmm. all seem to be there like in such a hurry all the time. They're so stressed all the time. And either he, Bill Tice didn't, of course he's not around for us to ask him, didn't see this memo really, or he kind of got it and went and you're like, fine, whatever. And then by the time they got around to, um, Tholian Webb the next year, maybe he raises this at a production meeting and Fred Freiberger looks at him like he's crazy in the production meeting. Like, what do you mean? No, just turn them over. It'll be a non-issue, you know, or whatever. Right. Like, no, don't. It's like, I really want to spend, I can't spend with them. I mean, there's all kinds of, just because this memo emerged, we can, we can acknowledge it. It's obviously a real memo, but like, what did Bill Tice do about it? What did he think about it? What did, and, the other thing is, why didn't Bob write this after after Decker and the Constellation yeah, in the Doomsday Machine? Yeah. So John comes up with this whole thing about, well, that's like Commodore's on detached. He's a flag officer or something, right? Wesley yeah. is wearing his regular 
Commodore Admiral Flag uh, Starburst patch right. in Ultimate Computer. I mean, um, and uh, Stalker comes aboard with his Starburst patch. He's being ferried to another command. He's not. Yeah, on they're a not ship. assigned to a specific ship or mission. Right, but I'm saying like th that would be like a one-off. But we've actually seen a Commodore on a ship, and like what? There wasn't time for me to get a new patch. These M5 tests had to happen like now. <laughs> right. I'm. You know, it's like we don't have whatever the original series. You know, have the computer make me. They can say replicators, but you know. Have 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 computer stores, whatever they say when they're well, being done. I, I had uh, until I'd read the article on StarTrek.com. I hadn't even I had even realized that we meet all those guys in court martial uh, in the officers' lounge who are wearing the uh, uh, the Delta Shield, and they're clearly not from the Enterprise. So that I'm like, oh wow, well that that kind of blows up the whole theory from from mid season one. But see, that's that's a look. So then you go to okay, here's real world guys. <laughs> that's the case for we have to come up with the cute, or maybe I will. We have to come up with a cute retcon explanation because obviously if you're doing Decker, if you're doing a couple of guys from the Exeter and you've got hero uniforms like lead talking people, mm -hmm. then spend the money and put it on their chest. If you've got eight or 10 or 15 extras in a bar, you're not going to make spend money on 12 or 15 patches in the bar. So just kind of try to have everybody with their back to the camera, <laughs> you know, and put a few of the starbursts on them and then cross your arms in front of your chest. Yeah. Cross yeah. your arms. So it's the fact that there were so many in the scene rather than like reinforcing it, it to me, it always reinforced it the other way. Like, Oh, we can't, we are going to do it when we have people full, you know, it's like little 15 inch color and black and white TVs in the 60s. Remember, that's what they were aiming that's for. Right. And yeah. one rerun. So to me, yes, my fanboy fan cannon, fanon, head cannon is saying, oh God, those people are in the bar with the patch. We have to figure out why. <laughs> but the reality, as far as interpreting this memo, mm -hmm. is it doesn't prove anything. Bob didn't say anything after Constellation. Those guys in the bar just are another sign of. Um, of, of of them not having the money to do that many people. So they just kind of kind of blinked and tried to get around it from what they did with the Tholian web after this memo came out. And Bill Tice was still there. Bob Justin was still there. I don't think Bill Tice got fired <laughs> for, you know, like turning people over. So seeing the, con the, the memo in context, and then for some reason, again, I can't track it down, mm. somebody put that and it was not a some fan did not just say this somebody in the production somewhere and someday by god i will find where this came from because like we didn't all have this mass group hallucination about it somebody put it felt the need to say everybody's wearing an enterprise patch now so you know that's past us so that's where i've been so the memo is amazing and interesting and another example of bob justman's wit but if you're going to prove what was going on i mean there's just as much canon to say there's other ships and you know and people on attached attached duty and and yes i know decker's patch didn't have a command star in it that was like to me that was the weird little moment but don't don't tell me that the goofy that don't tell me that every time a commodore was on command he was wearing that same double oval yeah you know that you never saw that anywhere and i get I, some people would say well one side has just as much weight as the other except that the other side has been 50 years in the making <laughs> and not that we should always go with that. But the other thing is like, you know, things evolve, things evolve, which, which the other main point that you brought up here is about the ships themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's where you really see the whole damn thing was not spelled out in Gene's March, 1964 memo. Mm -hmm. So a lot of even filmed Canon 
evolves. We start with you, Spa, then they kind of downplay it and come back with the real one and hope nobody remembers. They, they also mentioned uh, what Space Central, I think, at some point. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Space Central. So, I mean, like a lot of, you know, Vulcanians. I mean, there is so okay. much, you know, that is, that is kind of, and it happens on, on all the shows. But, you know, the, we watch it on the original series because it was 80, 79 shows showed over and over again for 30 years, and it really sticks out. But um, talking about the sh- we get talk about the, the f- we started to go there a minute ago. Yeah, but the, the ships. Ship, yeah. The ship patches per ship. Okay, well, the very famous memos talking about the making of, here it is. I've got my 70s copy right here. There it um, is. Not the original one with the white front that the 60s people had. But uh, that was a bestseller for like reprinted it for 30 years. So they had these these memos going back and forth, back and forth. So, you know, making of was written at the end of second season. So it doesn't have, well, so they come up with the list. Enterprise, Essex, Excalibur, Lexington, Yorktown, Endeavor, Eagle, Constellation, Hornet, Wasp, Lafayette. That's one, two, three, four, five. Oh, I'm sorry. That was the last draft. Uh, the following names have been established for starships. Enterprise, Exeter, Excalibur, Lexington, Yorktown, Potemkin, Republic, Hood, Constitution, Congo, Constellation, Farragut, Valiant, and Intrepid. Mm-hmm. And that's including the ones that have been you know, destroyed or had a bad hiccup day or something. That's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. So right away. There's a problem. Right off. <laughs> a, you've got 14 ships. B. Two year and a half, two years earlier, Kirk had said, well, there's 12 like her in the fleet, which means 13, right? Right. Literally. And then C, the Defiant isn't even on this list because it was from third season. So when they did Tholian Web, they came up with a whole new name. Nobody was like thinking. They didn't reference the making of Star Trek before they named the ship? Inexcusable. I'm just saying, it's the Freiburger regime. People either are not asking the questions or not paying attention when somebody does bring it up. So, you know, if, if they're going to come up with a whole new name of a ship that's not even on the list, why does Bill Tice want to go to the trouble of <laughs> spending right, right. money on it? But so, you know, so you've got all, but yes, it, that is as inconsistent as the other things we're mentioning, Vulcanians and New Spa before Starfleet or the Federation, you know, and Earth Central and et cetera, et cetera. Lithium. And, you know, and lasers before. Okay, well, you've got some, we retcon all kinds of answers and all kinds of things for that. But the point is, what we think of as canon was not set down on day one. It, it's an evolving thing. And after the years go by, when we talk about canon, and before we all get all nerdy and cream our pants over it too much, it is an evolving thing on the shows, much less what we do with it. And, and the longer a series would go on and the longer the franchise goes on, the more those things pop up and people try to, you know, people try to retcon them and people try to smooth the gaps and smooth the bumps. And even, even in the three years of the original series, they obviously were, were doing that. So, well, that's part, of the, that's part of the fun of being a fan. I mean, that gives us stuff to talk about here every week. So we, I'm, I'm happy. Well, to right, right, right. No, I'm, I know. I'm just saying people get all, if you, we're going to jump on this memo, say, I was like, okay, before we start talking about, you know, absolutely this and absolutely that and absolutely that, what right. you've really got to think about is what is the arc of history <laughs> with this, right? What is, what's the preponderance of, of weight? Almost everything associated with the made-up universe is going to – I mean, they're only human. They're going to crack at times. That's why they're really cool things that get in. We go, oh, that's so cool. And the groaners, you're like, uh, you know, before you come back. And um, 
the some fandom had the making of the other thing that's cool is actually was consistent so the decal that was in the model kit had that same when they did the second one i've got one here somewhere but i was looking it up a while ago the uh the um the uh decal that was in the amt model kit that so many the second version which was the one that sold the most mm -hmm. so many people saw that and that had those same 14 ships the same 14 again no defiant <laughs> you're just sol if you wanted to make your amt model kit so so oh so they gave you labels you, you could pretty much make any ship you bought any ship you just oh yeah you've never seen that the original oh. amt model kit was, had a, was a had a, my time larry i'm sorry oh. <laughs> okay don't tell anyone i told you that you can still like buy those like hotcakes. You don't have to get a you know a fancy nineteenth millionth redo if you want to do. If you want to buy the original kit and have your pylon sag just like everybody else's. I want the USS Congo sitting on my desk. I can do that. Is what you're telling me. Okay. Congo with a K. Congo with a K. Yes. <laughs> you sure can. But now this and uh, even when Franz Joseph Schnabelt did his he did his technical manual. You know he even. He even did his, you know, heavy cruiser class and, right. and used the 14 names. Again, no defiant. But then he adds on all these other ships that were made subsequently, right? There's like over 100 here in three or four batches, including replacements for Constellation, Farragut, Intrepid, and Valiant. And by the way, Valiant is a little problematical, too, if you really want to get anal head cannon yeah, over yeah, it. But, yeah. But the point is... He didn't mention Defiant either. It's like everybody's going with that original list thinking they're being such sticklers. And there it's on the air. Nobody in any of these, the decal, the book, and the, even the tech manual, which is, mm -hmm. you know, really filling gaps in and goes far afield. Nobody had the Defiant in. And then you were all, you know. Then you've got Franz Joseph not knowing about Greg Jean's fan article where Greg Jean sat down and tried to put those numbers from the Starbase chart. Yeah, assign them to a ship, right? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, the case of Jane Doe Starship or something, we called it. That's, you know, B. Joe used that in her concordance, and that's kind of what uh, fandom who cares has always used. Nobody, but some people just picked up, you know, poor adults like me or other people out in the Midwest or wherever around the world just picked up the tech manual and went, oh, look, here's all the ship numbers. And these are all like very pristinely, you know, sequential, right? With very few gaps, not like... 1764 for the Defiant. But the way we retconned the Defiant not being in any of this was the number was so much higher than everything else. And it was third season. It was just made later. <laughs> but my point is, we talk, we sit here in 2018 and go, oh, well, back in the early days when everything was set in stone before the last 10 years have messed things up. It's like, it's always been a little bit messy. That's why what, you know, there were three years and then there were 10 years to ruminate about it and then 15 years in total before next generation or whatever, roughly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, David Gerald wrote his books and I pointed this out when I did the companion about after 15 years, you can point at things and go, geez, guys, you know, the captain really shouldn't lead every, you know, in, a, in the Navy, the captain doesn't get off the boat every time they go to a dock and go lead the diplomatic, you know, the dangerous mission, you know, and God, would you really use a transporter if you had that many problems with it? And, no, let's fix the transporter and create a holodeck. Okay. Um, but it's like all those tropes and memes were things they wanted to fix. Of course, you could never, every new show brings its own crop of things that, you know, go become a, a stereotypical, you know, plot hole or whatever. But there was this huge effort, and a lot of it was subversively done by Mike and Rick Sternbach 
to, to organize all that and bring some, so that you wouldn't have, you know, warp factors all over the place. And they really tried to ground it. They really did get two fanboys in, whether Gene was conscious of what he set in motion or not, hiring them in to do all this subversive behind the scenes, tiny print in Okudagram's thing that made the next gen universe and generation so much richer and cohesive than it had any right to be. Because, you know, I got to look at the, the carousel of writers, right? The first, you know, right. chaos yeah. in the bridge. We've almost got, and then, and then Mike was there through Voyager DS9, and we almost got spoiled. That's so much more level of detail and continuity than anybody has a right to expect coming along. So we've been a little spoiled. And then, then you have 12 years off and, in, and through Enterprise. And then you've got 12 years off and the whole company is reassembled for the JJ movies. And there was kind of a meme about if you've worked on this before, it's going to be fresh and new. And we're not going to drag this down with all the tired old people from the last you know, iteration of people. And, um, and then even with Discovery, then you have a lot of folks hired in. Oh, no, we'd like to have some connection to the past. But no matter what the, what the attitude is, it's really hard once you, that's why even movies by the same people every two years, you have goofy things crop up. And people, you know, we can do a transporter better this time. Why? Right. We, can, we, can, we can do a uniform better this time. Like, why do they upgrade the next-gen transporter? It's fine. Voyager and all them should just kept the same next-gen transporter. So silly. But uh, everybody, everybody needs their own shuttlecraft. Everybody needs their own... <laughs> Their own type two phaser, right? Merchandising, merchandising. That's where the real money is made. <laughs> I did want to ask you guys, both of you guys, this though. Though, do you guys like different patches on the ships or not? Like, if you had a choice, would do you like all the ships having different patches or not? Well, I'll just say real quick. I don't know how I fight all these decades of sentimentality about having different. This is not about anybody's fan film or anything. This is just about that's always the way it was. And when the first movie came out, somebody made a nod to that and it was very cool and it made the enterprise even more esteemed than it already was that's right and um uh i just if you know there were a lot of things there if not then it becomes the memo that was very real but just got ignored in the big flow of getting the damn show done in the um in the navy today each ship does have its own patch right it has its own logo so to speak but it's never really on the uniform. It's something you would wear on your flight jacket, flight suit, um, maybe on a, on, a, on a hat that you would wear. But your normal day-to-day -day uniform usually does not have that patch on it, it's occasionally. So that's right. So it's, that, that's the idea. So, yeah, so you have a little pride in your unit, a little pride in your ship, that type of stuff. But, you know, your uniform, when you're in your dress uniform or your working uniform, it's always the same. And, you know, to me, it's, it's funny, just that what came to my mind is, you know, you talk about purists, and it's hard to be a purist if there's no purity. And there isn't any. <laughs> there isn't any. You know, so, you know, things, things evolve, things change. And uh, to me, it, it's fascinating just this, this whole thing, trying to tie it all together, because it, it's not easy to do. And it's it, boy, there's a lot of energy put into it, and and yeah, yes, no, no more of this 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 one issue. There's there's certain things that I know no purists look like the aesthetics and things like that. I get that people get wrapped around the axle um, that you look at Discovery and and the ships don't 
look anything like they did in TOS and, and things along those lines. It, it's just radically different. The uniforms, that type of stuff. That's where purists, I think, get upset, you know, the most. Or in the in the JJ movies, people really got upset with how radically things changed. The uniforms look similar, but the ship didn't look anything close or the scale is is radically different. So I understand why there's a lot of folks out there that say, well, why couldn't it be, you know, even in Discovery, why are these ships as big as the next generation Enterprise? Because they are. Um, it, you know, there's just, there's a lot of things that are getting tweaked and, and changed. But no, I, I was I was only really speaking in terms of, of the patches and stuff and uh, and keeping it within this, this conversation. Because I, I do understand where certain people come from I'm just not one of those folks. I, I'm, I'm excited to see the new reinterpretation of things. I think if things keeps fresh, I appreciate the old. I appreciate the new. I'm pretty easy. But there's a lot of people I know, and I, I do understand why they get, well, wait a minute. This is this is not the way it's supposed to be because for 30 years, you've got like um, Jeff out there, Mr. Atos, putting Trekopedia, who has meticulously put every piece of history and somehow came away with, nope, it's an unbreakable... Uh, bond between one event to the other and this is and everything's explainable and he finds a way and that's it's an incredible talent an incredible talent to put that all together but and a lot of energy and people love it well i mean that's basically what some of them are just info questions but that's basically what my column in the original magazine i mean in the uh, british magazine that's now the official magazine has been about has been about i i used to call that gap filling well, if there, was a, if there was an absence of information about something, creating something that fit, and then if you had, you know, a cannon collision <laughs> or something, about smoothing over the bumps and the hiccups, like, like, sure. uh, like writing to Bob Orsi about the, about the Kelvin badge. And, well, here's one way out of that, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and not that anybody would ever pick up on it, but at least it's just something to have there. And, and because what happens, I, I mean, this is the times we live in now, <laughs> about you know, politics and culture, much less Star Trek. Everything is like, people feel like they're forced to choose mm -hmm. all the time. And I'm, yeah. I'm very big on, hey guys, it's kind of like the old Saturday Night Live commercial. It's a dessert topping, it's a floor wax. Hey, you kids, <laughs> it's both. <laughs> it's like, why can't we have both? That's right. A lot of these choices, I think we get our, you know, but that's from day one. It's like, ooh, there's a, there's a wrong fact here. Well, let's just find a way to make it fit, mm -hmm. you know? And sometimes that's that's um, a little bit of a, of a what am I trying to say contortion, but um, but at least you do because sometimes if you want a perfect like as the years go by and different hands have indeed been on it, not even so much about the writing but the physical look. My God, when we got to the '80s movies and everything was to me was so militaristic and brassy, it seemed like totally opposite what Gene had wanted with the uniforms, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's like okay, get over it eventually. But um, it just it's like things that are so shocking because they're new within 10 or 15 years they've all they've been to coin a phrase assimilated they've all joined the mainstream the the flow and people just people have either done their own headcanon or widely used you know published fan can fanon or whatever it is or the novelists take things and incorporate them and after a while it just kind of becomes what everybody you know everybody just kind of accepts those things that in the day made everybody i mean there was a time when i was first reading before even before star well after starlog but people that would write about background as characters and physical background mm -hmm. there was a there's a zine called interstat 
All it was was letters of comment and people talking to each other. And I was shocked when I first got to that level and was reading. There were a lot of people, mainly today we call them the shippers, who were really mad about the way Spock was dealt with in the third season. And basically, they were the first bunch I ever heard of that did. There was a whole group of fans that didn't accept the third season. They didn't think the third – now they'd say they didn't think it was canon. But they were like, I don't accept the third season. I, it's just not in my oh, personal wow. continuity. Because the way he talked to Droxine, Spock would never talk about, to a strange woman about Vulcan sexuality and biology like that. You know, and even rubbing the fingers with the Ryman commander was too much. And there was a whole, there was a whole subgenre back when fandom was a lot smaller and they all knew each other because they all edited zines and went to conventions. Right. Um, but there was a group at the beginning that didn't like the third season for Spock. And then you got the blow up over, you know, the, then the people that marketed against Ratha Khan for killing off Spock and, and on down the line. The next, you know, and that's why talking about the people that, you know, Next Generation didn't want to watch it and hated it because it wasn't Kirk, Spock, and McCoy and how dare you redo a new Star Trek and call it Star Trek, you know, all the way through the ones people met, you know, DS9 doesn't go anywhere and Enterprise is a prequel and it doesn't go forward and, you know, all the way down the line. And, right. But eventually those things get assimilated. And we th- and the people that come along now are like shocked to hear that that kind of thing happened in the 70s and 80s and 90s. But it, it did. And it's just informative now just to kind of doesn't ex- I still reserve the right to critique anything, but I just try to bring a little context to it. You know? Yeah. When I was younger, it, that those were the things that that I was always trying to do was to put things together. Uh, and, and that's why I love uh, columns and th- when, when people could make it all work, um, it became more real. Right, because there was a reason for things, and of course, that drive for that utopian society—we wanted it to be more real. Could this possibly happen? Could this be something um, that could make sense? So, its history has to make sense, and and so I completely get it. It is funny though, as time goes on, and and I look back at those times, and I said, "Man, you know, there's a lot of things going on in my life, but I put a lot of energy into that stuff." <laughs> You know, and I see a lot of people that do it today. I know you wouldn't, of course. Yeah, yeah. But it, it is funny. But it, it is one of those things where, I, okay, but I, I mean, I, I love it for what it is. And and I think some of the things that, uh, you know, these mysteries you try to solve or the things you try to put together. And I thought that that was an ingenious story on the Kelvin and, and bringing the shield across. That Those creative minds, I, I am not a creative guy, right? I'm a I'm a very linear business guy. This is how you do things. We use our tools. I, I love seeing the imagination that gets pulled into this, that, that pulls this whole universe together and makes sure that the, uh, the strings aren't pulled too far. But maybe it's because of Facebook and social media, the, um, the vehement, you know, I guess anger that comes in if you, it's supposed to be alpha, but you've given me beta. No, this, you know, you're wrong or you're not a fan because you like JJ movies. It's like, wow, I can't, you know, it's almost like if you want to start playing and trying to pull these things together, it could almost get dangerous. Just as you were mentioning back then with, nope, season three Spock doesn't exist. That That's wild to me. That was a mid late seventies thing but I, I didn't know about it until i was reading these letters from around the, like the closest thing to what now you would have every day blaring at you from you know facebook or twitter or something but mm. um you know stepping back even further star trek you know, we think about all the the media sci-fi pop culture comic-con culture superheroes i mean comics were big but 
comic you know nerds were like little guys that stayed in basements and went through dusty boxes and if there was a comic-con it was literally guys standing in a room thumbing through dusty boxes of comics and bags and that was a comic-con right and the idea of spending money to get people to go see those characters in a movie you know it was a big deal to get them on saturday morning tv licensed or something you know spider-man but i mean sure. you know a lot of them weren't done very well but Star Trek was the first genre thing. And yes, I know Doctor Who was in the UK, but it took the Americans to show them how to market it, I think. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, hard on the heels of Star Trek in the mid-70s, then Lucas and Star Wars and bang, were off to the races. But Star Trek was the first time a, you know, imaginative, you know, Wizard of Oz aside in 1939, and they only did the one book, right? They didn't do the whole series. Right. And that could have been a whole... Sure. Why hasn't somebody that, done all that would the be old a shared Bond universe story? today for sure? Yeah, 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 yeah. And you could do. There were like fifteen or eighteen books. I mean, my God, there's not like a lack of source material. But the fact that it was, it started as a filmed. It wasn't a comic, and it wasn't a book like a Sherlock Holmes or a Tarzan, and it wasn't a comic. It was, it was made for TV, and it was made for series. And the fact that that at every turn. You know, did we recast when the when the when it went to a movie, which no dead show had ever come back as a movie like that, and right. with a huge budget, the fact they didn't recast it, but they kept those actors, that was a paradigm leap in this in this train. The fact that we laugh about the memos and the you know we we see them arguing about or, or laughing about ship names or especially like the Vulcan names. I often start with the male names: Spick, Spork, Spark. That memo, <laughs> right. but that's what they did. That's in the DNA of Star Trek. It's not just all the canonistas sitting around here farting around about this stuff because they've got nothing else to do in their parents' basement with the Cheeto dust on their fingers. That's the DNA of Trek because Gene knew that if you didn't look out for how the signs next to the doors looked, then no one's going to really believe, you know, or one week we've done this hall and, and, uh, and engineering is over there, you know, and the next week if you go down the hall, turn it's like the last – Turnabout Intruder, there's a famous moment in the briefing room where they all argued with the director. They're just like doing the last show. They've been canceled. They're getting out of there. And the director has, I think, Kirk turn and exit. Like everybody knows the briefing room. There's one door into the right. corridor. And the, the, that door is in the back of the picture. And the director has Kirk get up and like leave over here to leave the room. He says he's leaving the room. He's leaving. And all the actors go wait, that's, there's only one door. There's the door. And the director's looking at them like they're crazy. Like, no, <laughs> just, 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 F it, just do what I tell you to do and go over there. And they're like, okay. <laughs> and the show is like going to get canceled, but it's still on the air. There's still an office. There's still a Desilu Paramount. And, you know, they get hundreds of letters. Why did he go out the door? Was there a door in the corner? Everybody knows the only door to the briefing room is the one that was, you know, so that's been there since the beginning, because if you're going to go to the trouble of going to that much respect for the audience's intelligence like they wanted to do. Right. And if you don't have a believable universe, then you're not going to believe the characters are human or whatever species, and you're not going to get into the morals and messages and meanings that they're trying to say. I've heard that before. Morals, messages, and meanings. That's a good idea for a podcast mm. there. <laughs> but all I'm saying is that it's baked in there, and we laugh about this detail stuff now. But if that wasn't baked in the cake at the beginning, Star Trek would not be what it is today and all the people that say i just want my star trek for my inspired futurism to get me through the depressing days of today it's like you can have that but if you didn't have this background it might not be as powerful as it is today and it would at the very least to me it would leave it would lose one of its like five main pieces and it would be just like every other mm -hmm. 
storytelling vehicle out there instead of being to me being the most unique and you know in a 50 year if 50 years is the end of the ride on that and it just can't humanly survive then so be it i i'm not saying i won't watch anymore but it'll be like a little sad moment to me if we've lost that overarching attention to not not even can concept but but visual as well mm-hmm mm-hmm well, well, with all that, with all that being said, I have one last nerd minutia question for you, Larry, just to get your opinion on, and that is, where do you think the Enterprise A came from? What do you mean the Enterprise? Like, oh, is it, oh, is oh, it the oh. Yorktown? Is it a new ship? Is it you know? Oh, that is that is a very in-universe question, Mister Z. Are you talking about Prime? Or are you talking about Kelvin? Because in the Kelvin, we saw it made in the. Yes, yes, yes. No, I mean I'm fine with that retconished idea that it was another ship coming in to be refit and they just lost it was the yorktown in fact the yorktown was kind of like supposed to be cool because it came full circle because the -hmm. original pitch was yorktown and so once again the yorktown got bumped to be an enterprise so if you you ever find a memo about like what the real reason for that is let us know because i'm just curious because there's been like lots of talk like oh is because star trek 5 they act like it's a brand new ship right he's like oh this new ship was put together by monkeys it's like well isn't it like 20 years old and refit just like all the rest you know so it's there is some misunderstanding of actually well then you have the people that go if you think that they built that that ship in motion picture was actually the ship you saw in 1969 and just quote unquote refit, then I've got some, you know, swampland in, in Alpha, Florida too to sell you. I mean, you know. Right. But yeah, so I believe, I believe that. And I believe <laughs> that another old Connie came in. Well, yeah, well, why didn't we see, you know, and, and why didn't we see any more Constitution refits across Star Trek? They're always looking for models, right? But we... You know the thing about we can't confuse the audience. Right. Okay. The other producer meme is if we have a hero ship that's big at the time, don't have any, even though we talk about what class ship it is because we're so damn cool, we have that figured out. Don't ever show it in another, don't ever show another class ship of the same class in another situation because that will confuse people. Because right, I, I know in, in the battle, the, the Stargazer was going to be a Constitution, but they changed it to Constellation, which actually I'm, I'm glad because we got another cool Starship design. I love the Constellation. Yeah, yeah. That's my yeah. other, that's the other thing I came up with, texture, not trivia. It's like, go. it wasn't a trivia fail. It was just more, take this. You saw, uh, you know, it was like uh, uh, Savick was supposed to be half Romulan. Mm-hmm. They dropped that somewhere along the way, but the novelization got out with it as that. So everybody read the novelization back in the day just kind of went, yeah, she's half Ramian. So like two thirds of the audience was upset that she was crying at Spock's funeral because she's supposed to be Vulcan. And a third were like, no, oh, she's like, that's the Romulan part of her coming out. <laughs> you know, I mean, stuff like that's always been around, but that's why you never saw people go, where was the Enterprise Z during the Dominion War? Because, I mean, it, they just freed up the galaxy. Thank God they crashed the D or you wouldn't have had any galaxies in the Dominion War. You know what? I never thought... That's an excellent point, Larry. I never thought about that. I'm so glad we got to see the other ships in DS9. Or it'd be all Miranda and Excelsior class, and, you know, it, it's... Kind of ridiculous. And, and, the, and the CG ones, but they were so expensive because they made the four seat, you know, the Akira and the other three. Yeah, well, yeah, with my, my fanboy explanation for no more Constitution classes is just like they were all refit, so they all came out in the 2240s, 50s, and 60s. They refit them all, and once they were done in, like, the 2290s, that's it. That's why you don't see any, like, in the Dominion War or anything like that they're all kind of just phased well, out there were time. only 12 like her in the fleet <laughs> well there you go and most of them got destroyed in tos as we saw <laughs> right 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 that's why the only intact ship and crew coming back you know, like what does intact mean does it mean like blown to smithereens or does it mean we got a hull and dead bodies what is you know right i just 
but I just I just know how desperate they were for models and ships. It's just it's crazy to me that they never like okay guys, I know we have these rules and stuff, but let's pull out this this amazing model we have of the Enterprise, you know, from the movies and start using it. But uh, I'm glad Picard got his own ship in the battle and so on and so forth. So. You know what? You know what we could do is be funny. Is if if you took um, either carrier Enterprise from either World War II or the or the one that was launched in '61. And you took pictures every five or ten years of that ship. It morphs. There's 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 guns. They get rid of guns. They put in missiles. The radar array changes. It be you know different sensors and different. And if you want to take a ship like the Enterprise, that's as old as it was. I guess everywhere from twenty to thirty to forty years. However, it goes back in the movie timelines. Uh, you you see radical changes on on Navy vessels. So I think it's it's. To me, it's always been, it, it makes a lot of sense. As far as where the Enterprise A came from, I guess I always kind of stuck with the movie version that they just built it from scratch. Because that's, that's what they said on screen. But I, I I heard Yorktown. I also heard Shangri-La or something one time before. Well, see, that's, see, sometimes licensed books, otherwise good licensed books come out in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Not even like we invented this five years later, but like, well, this was in our heads and, you know, but sometimes there's this wall, depending on what time of, what time of the franchise it is, what year it is, there might be complete miscommunication, walls, hoops to jump through, or there might be incredible, incredible synergy, like the last 10 years of the Berman era with, with mm-hmm. all the licensed products. Um, but sometimes, yeah, when things are kind of, stagnant or there's nobody in charge and things get done in a vacuum and people's best guesses come together and um and then within five years people want to go no no and now it's on film and now you've got to go well that it's kind of like the worlds of the federation or it's kind of like the original star charts from from 79 it's kind of like well that's all been completely outmoded now like that makes no sense Klingon Homeworld is not called Kling, just for the record. Yeah. <laughs> I have that Worlds of the Federation book. I grew up reading that. That was a lot of fun. So, Well, it's like all the games. Like uh, Starfleet Battles is all based on the original uh, French Joseph star chart that was in the tech manual that I did my first version on. And then Face of FASA's roleplay gaming is all based on the 79 charts and maps. That scale and that layout. And, you know, it's like... It's, but that's again, that's another part. That's not on screen canon, but that's the evolution. Trek canon is exactly the same as the Constitution. I don't see why this is so hard for people to uh, not to well, put it on a pedestal or anything, but you know, uh, it, it makes for great conversation and just, just fun times, right? It, it, the only time it just gets a little crazy is when people really get upset. And then you got, okay, now we got to step back a little bit because there's no right or wrong. Right, it's interpretation. There, there are some rights and wrongs. Don't get me wrong. There are some facts. Yeah, we wouldn't have a co- cohesive. Way. There wouldn't yeah. be a cohesive universe worth being a fan of if it was completely right. That's right. It, it isn't. The it, problem with social media is that if you're when you're in one to one talk, you can if somebody starts to get a little you know verklempt or clenched up, you can kind of go, you know, you can calm things down yourself. But it, you don't get that when people are all off in their bubbles and yeah. even when they're collected bubbles. <laughs> you can't you can't it's not as easy to calm people down or or you know introduce something people get real invested they do and and i've heard this happens to things besides star trek fandom mm. so nah no that's not true <laughs> well larry it's been a lot of fun talking to you about patches and chips and registry numbers and all that but if people want to find you outside on other places on the internet where can they find you hey uh well you know larry is always kind of the central hub 
for uh, portal47.net if you like deep diving like this and, and with the voices of some of these people and other other mystery documents. Uh, that's at portal47.net there. And um, and the Trek files I just want to mention again too. Uh, every Tuesday, 15 minutes. And and at Larry Nimichek on Twitter and um, and uh, YouTube. And then Larry Nimichek's Trekland is my main Facebook page and Instagram, although I've got the Trekland trunk and... Um, then the Con of Wrath on Facebook too. Yeah. So yeah, when the Con of Wrath is all uh, buttoned up and good to go, we'll have you back on. We'll, we'll talk about. it. I'm excited to delve in that a little more. I would love to have it buttoned up. Then I would love to. <laughs> then I'd love to be back. All righty. Well, talking about patches and ships and registry numbers and continuity isn't the only thing we've been doing this week on Trek FM. Here's <gasps> a quick look at what else we've been doing elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, the Ready Room. I'd like to see a starship where the chief medical officer is a Tellarite oh. <laughs> and see his bedside manner. I'll see, I'll see your your crappy Louis Zimmerman hologram <laughs> right. amalgamation and raise you a Tellarite doctor. Yeah. Uh-huh. The 602 Club. This is such an incredible beachhead in terms of what they do with what we've come to expect now with like the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy or resurrecting Peter Cushing. Warp 5. We share about 50% of our DNA with a banana, so I think we're a bit yeah. closer to to reptiles um, than 50%, but still. No, you're, yeah, I, I, so what I you're saying it's, is it's possible to have an intelligent banana. Um, I'm not saying that. I'm just and saying I'm 50% that. 50% banana. To the journey! Bullions don't have a lot of hair. That we know of. So, I mean, we've never seen a shirtless bullion, have we? Not that I can recall, unless it would be in sick bay or something like that, but I can't recall an incident of a shirtless bully. <laughs> How do you know that they're not hairy-chested? I kind of love the idea that, like, from the neck down, they're covered in hair, but they're bald on top. <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and a written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link as well. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash TrekFM to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month, so we really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We also want to thank very, very much our, our esteemed associate producers, Norman C. Lau, Nicholas Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. So Norm, Nick, Tim, Richard, Corey, and Dan, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. It means as much as we can, can possibly tell you uh, the world to us that, that you've agreed to sign on and help keep Standard Orbit alive and well. Yes, thank you so much, guys. We really do appreciate all your contributions. 
So we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Standard Orbit. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. As for us personally, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach, that's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H, and I'm also the host of my own show called Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. What about you, Ken? Well, you can find me on Twitter as well at Boston, S-C-P-O, stands for at Boston Senior Chief Petty Officer. And I'm also on the Babel Conference whenever I can be engaging and trying to add, you know, a lot of good provocative suggestions to our other shows. But anyway, we look forward to seeing you on the Babel Conference and responding back and forth on this show as well. All right, well, that's going to do it for us this week. But stay tuned next time for another edition of Standard Orbit.